0: So um, about five years ago, I heard a message that, uh, that really, really changed the way I perceived my marriage relationship. And so credit where credit's due, today's message, about three quarters of today's message comes from Andy Stanley. And Andy says that we all, uh, no matter where you're at, when it comes to relationship, all of us, we all have a box an invisible box of hopes. We all have wishes or hopes for our relationship. And if you're single, you're not dating anybody, this is a very, uh, this is a, this is a very undefined box for you. But as you move into a relationship and as you think about moving toward a relationship, these, this box becomes more defined. some hopes, some wishes as it relates to future relationship. And if you're engaged, Hopefully you've already talked about what's in your box and you've heard from your fiance, what's in their box. But if you're married, we should definitely know what's in our spouse's box. And some of us do, and some of us don't. And that's gonna be part of the problem that we're gonna discuss. We all have hopes. We all think about the future and we have these hopes as it relates to these things, uh, money. In our marriage, we're gonna have a lot of money or we're not gonna have any money. Uh, You know, hope, I mean, love will just keep us alive. We're gonna live on hope, you know? Uh, You know, we're gonna have a single income, two incomes, or we're just gonna have so much income that we're just gonna all stay home. Uh, We're gonna have a budget. No, I know, we're not gonna have a budget because that sounds like an allowance and I don't want an allowance. We have all of these expectations, these hopes, as it relates to our financial future. Or maybe you have some ideas about how the chores are going to be done. Who's going to be doing? It? You think about how it happened in your family or the way that it, you feel like it should happen. You have hopes as far as some kind of home. you know, you're going to rent or purchase a car who, you know, what you're going to drive, or maybe you'll talk him into trading his sports car for something a little bit more practical that the car seat can fit in, you know? Uh, Maybe you're going to have a child, or maybe if you're an only child, you're going to think, you know, no, I don't just want one. I'm going to have some children. Or maybe if we have two girls, we're just going to keep going till we get a boy. So maybe that was... That's, we all have hopes and dreams as it relates to those things. So you also have a mental picture of what scheduling in a relationship looks like. How we spend our free time. I get to spend time with my friends. You spend time with your friend. Or no, no, we ditch your friends. We spend all our time together. You know. And then there is hopes and dreams as it, as it uh, has to do with the calendar. So, you know, uh, as far as... Holidays, we're going to spend Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter with my family, and your family can have all the other ones. You know, you get Groundhog Day and President's Day and Ash Wednesday, you get all those. I'm generous. But we all have this picture of how all of this is gonna work out in our relationships in the future. This is how we're gonna live together. And then there's travel. You know, we're gonna travel a lot. We're gonna travel all over the world or no, we're gonna keep it in the United States. I'm scared to go outside of the country. And then every guy has some idea of what he hopes and dreams that his wife will not wear to bed. And she's thinking, well, yeah, but he loves me. He just wants me to be comfortable. He doesn't care. He accepts me just like I am. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, those things that I wear at night, that's not gonna matter. And then there's conflict resolution, how we resolve conflict in marriage. That's what we're talking about within a relationship. And so, uh, you know, there's conflict. We've discussed it in every relationship. And the dream is, the hope is that we're just gonna talk it out. We're gonna get it all out on the table. We're gonna be completely honest. We're gonna be extremely honest so we can just work through things. And then somebody else is thinking, no, 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 that's how you hurt people's feelings. Like you don't say everything that's true. You just make sure that what you say is true. And so then, you know, the other person says, no, you know, in my family, we raised, in, we raised our voices and we got it all out. And the other person, no, we're not gonna raise our voices. Cause if you raise your voice, Voice, then you know that's insensitive you just don't that's not how we're going to resolve conflict and sometimes are think some guys are thinking conflict resolution that's what sex is for who, who hasn't been married very long but the question is how are we going to behave with each other what are what's our hopes my husband my fiance my wife She's never going to say this. She's never going to use that term. She's never going to, he's never going to threaten. There's this expectation that we've never, that we've never defined, but we have a, a pretty clear expectation about how we're going to be treated in this very special relationship. She loves me. She'll never, he loves me. He'll never. Now. As we discussed before, unmet expectations are the source of almost all of our conflict. And that's why we're in this series that we have called, How to Fight. Because as we've discovered it, look, it's not that you're not gonna fight. Conflict is inevitable, but we've gotta learn strategies to actually be able to fight correctly, to fight constructively, to let iron sharpen iron. But when our hopes, don't match a reality that creates this gap called disappointment. So how do you manage that? When our dreams and our hopes of what a relationship would be doesn't actually meet reality and there's this gap of disappointment in the middle. Because all of us know what it's like to have disappointment in our relationships. Do you remember when you walked down the aisle and, you know, here were all the dreams and the hopes. And, and then afterward, when we see reality, it kind of feels, sometimes it feels like false advertising, doesn't it? Yeah. Maybe it's a friendship and you used to rely on it, but now your relationship feels distant. Or maybe it's a family member. And with this family member, it's, it's begin to feel more like conflict and competition where there used to be a closeness and a connection, but there's been this disconnect. And all of us, we want close relationships. We want to close the gap, but, the re, but sometimes the reality doesn't actually meet our hopes. And at some point during our marriage relationships, when, or maybe when you're dating or once you get engaged, or it could even be at the altar, it could be months or years after you're married. At some point, we can't help ourselves. We essentially, we take our box of hope and we say, here, make them a reality for me make my dreams come true. This is always I dreamed about, this was my hopes, this is the reason I asked you out, this is the reason I said yes when you asked me out, it was the reason why I asked you to marry me, it's, it's the reason why you said yes, it's the reason I walked down the aisle with you because in my mind, this is what the future looks like and I need you to come through for me. The challenge is, the problem is, is that when we hand somebody our box of hopes, it doesn't feel like hopes to them. To them, it feels a lot like expectations, right? Then it feels like this weight. It feels like the bar has actually been raised. To them, it feels like a homework assignment or an assignment or a responsibility now. It feels like if they don't come through, then you might be disappointed in them and what before was intangible and dreamy and hopeful and you know and i spent years thinking about all these things and planning all this and envisioning it suddenly your hopes become a burden to somebody else so today we're going to talk about expectations and i want to start out by talking about unhealthy expectations so What are some unhealthy expectations? First of all, is what we call unconscious expectations. We don't even know that we have these expectations until they go unmet. And then we feel the disappointment, the pain of that disappointment. Maybe you expect your spouse to keep the house clean because in your house, that's what your mom did. Or maybe your husband should be Mr. Handyman because your dad was, or your husband should fill up your car with gas all the time because that's what your dad did for your mom. Or your wife, she should be a good cook because my mom was a good cook and I loved it. We have these weird unconscious expectations where we kind of think, well, that's just what their whole world, everybody, all families are like this, but it's not true. Another one is what we call unreasonable and expectation. And it's, it's just these expectations aren't just grounded in reality. When we daydream about the future, our future as we daydream and as we imagine, it organizes itself in it, around our box and our dreams. See, when I was single, I never daydreamed about becoming the perfect someone for somebody else. No, I daydreamed about finding the perfect somebody for me. We don't daydream about, wow, I just can't wait till I become the perfect somebody for somebody else. No, we daydream about finding the perfect somebody for me. So when I met Melissa, I thought she was perfect for me. So I brought her ring and my box of hopes to the altar. And everything in my box seems perfectly reasonable to me. Why would everybody not wanna center their life around what's in my box? And she brought her box to the altar and everything in her box seemed perfectly reasonable to her. And many of the hopes that we brought into our relationship, they actually, they weren't reasonable to the other person. Now, sometimes expectations can be reasonable. The problem is, is that they are unspoken. We never actually verbalize and voice them out loud with our words. And some unhealthy expectations are, uh, are unspoken and we have to say them, no matter how obvious they might be to you. They might not be obvious to the other person. Now, another one is unagreed. Just because you expect these things, just because they're your dreams and your hopes, doesn't mean they agreed to it. You never agreed to be the handyman. She never agreed to pick up your underwear off the floor all the time like your mommy did see these expectations they actually have to be agreed upon and the problem is that when we hand our box of hopes to somebody else the weight changes and what feels to me like a hope to her felt like an expectation and the difference is on this side of the box it's all hopes on this side of the box it's all expectations because I'm like, why would everybody not want to order their life like my box? And the other person says, yeah, that just feels like a lot of expectations to me. I mean, like from, from where I'm standing, it feels like hopes. From where they're standing, it feels like all expectations. And eventually, the relationship is characterized like this by an O oh, repay relationship. You owe me my hopes. That's what husbands are supposed to do. That's what wives are supposed to do. That's what men are supposed to do in a relationship. That's how women are supposed to you know, respect me in a relationship. And if we know, then what happens is we're negotiating and it's all about you owe me, you owe me, owe me. And the problem is when you get into this dynamic, you, when you get into this space, you can't recognize love. You can't give or receive love because you can't appreciate it or recognize it. Let me explain it this way. If you owe me money, you can't give me money. If you owe me money and then you give me money, I don't see it as a gift. I see it as a payment. If you owe me money and you say, hey Mike, I appreciate what you're doing and I'd just like to give you hundred dollars. Well, if you owe me more than hundred dollars, not only am I not grateful, I wanna know where the rest of it is. So what happens in a relationship is gratefulness becomes minimal. When the dynamic of the relationship is an owe, repay relationship, as long as somebody feels like somebody else owes them, they don't see the fulfillment of that as love because it's only repaying what my expectation that, I, that you owe me actually are. So it's not thank you for cleaning the house or thank you for fixing that light. No, you, you owed them that because of your hopes and expectations of reality that maybe have been unconscious, unspoken, unrealistic, unagreed upon, or unreasonable. And w- when our hopes fall in one of these categories and, go un- and go- they go unmet or unexamined by us, then we start making judgments about that person or, or, or assumptions about that person. And that's where that disappointment comes in. The pain, that's when it shows up and resentment starts to build up. And then there's a wall between us. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there now. I know I've been there. It's so familiar. I know so many of us have been there or are there, but if we don't deal with this, if it goes unexamined or unresolved, you know what? Marriages fall apart. They just collapse, families fall apart. So what do we do? The question then is, how do we keep this from happening? How do we keep you know, legitimate hopes from starting to feel like expectations? And the answer is, we answer this question. And this is the question, what does he or she actually owe me? I married them, certainly they owe me something. And I think we get the answer to that question from surprisingly enough, Jesus. And as we kind of dig into these scriptures, you're gonna find out what Jesus said about this subject. It's absolutely, it is transformative. It will transform your relationship if it's just applied. Now, a little bit of backstory on the scriptures that we're getting ready to dive into today. At the end of Jesus's ministry, He's hours away from being arrested. And so he gathers his disciples up together and he says, hey guys, there's a couple things I want you to remember. And then toward the end of that time, as they're sharing the the last Passover, he says, I'm gonna give you a brand new command. Now, these Jewish guys that were with him, his disciples, they would have actually been offended by him even saying that. And it doesn't bother us because we don't understand the culture, but in their culture, the only person that could give a command was God. And God already gave them all through Moses. So you could talk about the commands, you could explain the commands, you could apply the commands, but you can't just go making up new commands. That would have been offensive. So Jesus is jacking them up and he says, hey guys, I'm gonna give you a new command. And here's what he said. He said, a new command I give you, love one another, which they would have responded like, well, that's not new, which Jesus would have said, well, hang on, I'm not done yet. He said, a new command that I give you, love one another as I have loved you. This is the new part, so that you must love one another like that. And Jesus could have gone around to each one of them and said, hey, do you remember when we met? Matthew, you were a tax collector. You were an embarrassment to the whole, the whole nation, your family. And do you remember what I said to you? And Matthew would say, yeah, you asked me to follow you. And Jesus would have said to Matthew, I want you to extend that kind of love and grace and mercy to everybody you met, meet. Peter, you remember how you didn't want Matthew following us because he was an embarrassment because he was a tax collector. And you remember, I let both of you stay in the club. You know, Peter, I want you to extend that kind of grace and that kind of mercy to everybody you meet. Nathaniel, you remember when we met? You remember Nathaniel? You insulted my whole family, my whole community, my my whole city. You see, Jesus was from a place called Nazareth and Dan, uh, Nathaniel, when he heard about Jesus, he goes like, he's from Nazareth? What good thing could come from Nazareth? And so he would say, hey, you remember, Nathaniel, you dishonored my whole family. You made us all sound like losers. You remember that? Yeah, I remember that, Jesus. But you remember, I still invited you to follow me and I never brought it up again. See, he could have gone around the room and he could have said to each disciple, I want you to think about how I treated you. That's why, or how I want you to treat everybody else. A few hours later, he would have been arrested, tried, crucified. And that would be an aha moment for each of these guys when they realized that Jesus gave his life on our behalf and he asked us to do the same. There's a golden rule. You remember, treat people like you wanna be treated. But what Jesus said was taking that a step up. He's like, you know, yeah, treat people the way that you want them to treat you, but take it to another level. He gave us a different command, which is love one another as I have loved you. And this is huge because every single New Testament command after the resurrection, it actually springboards off of this big idea. As I love you, you've got to love other people. And a few years later, the apostle Paul will take this big idea of love others as Jesus has loved us. And he would begin to apply it in all of his letters to all kinds of relationships, including marriage. And so in his letter to, uh, to Ephesus, the city, um, he applies this command to marriage. And here's how he does it. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord what could be any clearer than that? All right, let's pray. Time to go home. If this bothers you, I'm glad. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad it bothers you because some of you are saying, "Ah, now see, this is why I don't wanna have anything to do with the church, anything to do with Christianity. And listen, I am glad that you're here today and you're listening today because this is going to change everything for you our English Bibles, the New Testament portion where this comes from is translated from Greek text. And if you take this verse and you translate it literally, here's what it actually says. It says, wives, to your own husbands as to the Lord. There's no verb there in the original Greek. The word submit is not actually there in that verse. Now, before I explain why, I wanna explain something else. When Paul's first century audience actually heard him teach about women submitting to their husbands, we go, uh, hang on just a second. That sounds a little misogynistic, a little sexist. But in their culture, they would have been like, yeah, of course, because this was actually common. This would not have surprised or offended anybody, including women listening. Believe it or not, nobody was offended because in Roman culture, Greek culture, and even the the Jews had a version of this, there was a rule that men had legal jurisdiction over the children and their wives. So basically their children and wives belonged to the men. So when Paul says, wives submit to your husbands, you know, it'd be like, okay, yeah, I mean, we get that, duh. Based upon our culture. It wasn't a big deal to them based upon culture, but it's a huge deal to us because we know better. How do we know better? Is that, that it's just women submitting to men, but not women, men submitting to women. Why is that? Why do we know better today? I'm gonna get to that in a minute. But first, why no verb? Why is there not a verb in this verse? And the answer is, is this was a typical uh, Greek writing way to do this. You made a statement with a verb and then the next statement, you could infer that verb and not include it in the sentence. So the the verb submit belongs here, but it actually didn't, it wasn't written here. It was written in the verse before. So we gotta ask ourselves, what was verse 21? Where did it come from? And this is huge. This is what Paul actually said before he said, wives submit to your husband. This sets the tone for everything that will follow. Submit to one another in reverence to Christ. Every time that the Apostle Paul tells us to do something, he actually appoints us back to Jesus and when Jesus created that new rule. And so in love, in relationships, including romantic relationships, including marriage, we are supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's what, here's what, when we're talking about my hopes and my, your hopes that become each other's expectations, when we're coming or when we're talking about, will you submit to my hopes? Will I submit to your hopes? Here's the big thing. Submission is mutual. This is what we've got to walk away with today. Submission, according to the Bible, according to Paul is mutual, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this word reverence right here that Paul uses, it's actually the word awe, as in I am in awe of Christ. You're in awe of Christ because he loves you, he forgives you, no matter what you've done, no matter how you've messed up. It's translated into awe for what he did for us because the command to submit is actually mutual. It's mutual submission. It's that I'm here for you, you're here for me, and I'm not here for you because you're here for me. I'm here for you because out of reverence for Christ, because he was here for me, therefore I'm gonna treat you like he treated me. I'm gonna take everything that I am and I'm gonna give it to you for what benefits you the most. And you're gonna do the same. We can have different roles, responsibilities, but we don't have different values. We're valued the same. I'm telling you, for Jesus's audience, this would have been unbelievable. For Paul's audience, this would have been earth shattering because he's making a very culturally disruptive point in this culture where this seems so sideways. And he starts with common ground between wives and husband and the common ground was submission. That we submit to each other out of awe of Jesus and what he's done for us. So Paul starts where there's common ground and then he goes from there. And then he actually applies it to men as well. So here's what he says. We've read, wives submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. And when we see this, his point is ladies, I want you to place your husband or your man if you're moving toward marriage, I want you to place his hopes as your own. Not because he expects it, not because you're beneath him, but because your heavenly father requested you treat him as Jesus treated you. And here's what's next. And it would have an effect on the audience that we can't imagine, okay? It was so different. What Paul says next is actually so offensive to them in the same way that this is offensive to us and our culture. And here's what he says to the men. He says, husband, love your wives. Now to us, that's not offensive. Like we're like, of course, you know, you love your wife. But listen, back then it was not, of course. They would have said, I don't have an obligation to my wife. My wife has an obligation to me. Remember, I own her. But Paul's not even done yet. This, he says, husband, love your wives. And then he turns the screw some more. Just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, the guys would have been like, stop, whoa, whoa. We get that our wives should submit to us because that's cultural. But now you're telling us that we have a responsibility to our wives? You're suggesting, Paul, that there may be a sense of equality? Seriously? He's not done. He says, in the same way that husbands ought to love their wives, they should do it as their own Unity so men your wives are one with you and as many times as we've heard this and as obvious as this seems to us this was absolutely brand new to them because paul was equating men and women as equal value and this is so powerful the church has taken this out of context and the reason that we bristle when we see when we hear wives submit to your husband is because our culture our American culture actually embraces equality of men and women. We're not the same, but we're equal. And so the minute that we hear something where somebody's supposed to submit to somebody else, it's like ah. Ugh. Women. Guess who introduced the whole idea of equality of men and women to the whole world? Guess who is the first person with any authority to actually say we're equal. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. Can we have uh, security help <laughs> us out here? Thank you. Hey, honey, I love you. Her name's honey, by the way. I'm not calling her honey because of that. Honey, I love you. That's okay. We love you so much so what Paul does Jesus introduces this Jesus rolls this out and then the apostle Paul springboards off of it and says women, men, in God's eyes you are equal value and you're supposed to actually submit to one another so men, what is your life to you? just put her before that that's the point Put her before your life and your hopes, but you can't do that as long as you've got a huge box of expectations between you. And ladies, you can't love your husband or submit to him as you mutually submit to each other if you've got this big box of expectations between you. We gotta get rid of this and, and basically allow God to connect us. So here's what we have to do. We have to decide that he doesn't owe you anything. She doesn't owe you anything. You don't necessarily, it's not that you feel that way. It's just, you decide you don't owe me anything, but I owe you everything. Melissa always says it this way. A marriage is not 50-50. A marriage is 100-100. Cause if it's 50-50, the moment that I'm giving 59, there's a gap. But if it's 100-100 and it's overlapping, even if I have a bad day, we're still loving each other. And my love doesn't depend on your love, and your love doesn't depend on my love. That we love each other 100 because He first loved us. It has to be mutual. Why? Because Paul said, the Bible says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of reverence for Him, because of what Jesus did, not because you deserve it from each other, even, but because of what He did for us. So, when you think about what's in your box, what's in your box? And have you accidentally handed it to them and expected your hopes to be fulfilled by them? So here's what I wanna challenge us to do. I want you to sit down and I want you to ask your spouse, what's in your box? At some point, at the right time, ask them, what's in your box? I want you to ask them and then the next thing that i want you to do and this is going to be super hard for some of you after you ask what's in your box i want you to be quiet listen now for some of you i just let you off the hook because i prompted you to do this and so when you do it it's because i prompted you to not because you don't already know what's in their box because without a prompting, the, prompt, the response could be, are you serious? We've been married for 20 years and you don't even know what's in my box? I just let you off the hook because I'm asking you to ask. So you can say, "You know, I already know, I'm pretty sure I already know what's in your box, but Micah asked me to ask, so what's in your box? And the reason we gotta know what's in each other's box is because we sometimes don't even know what's in our own box. So, Be quiet. Ask and then be quiet and listen. And remember, by the way, if you ask your husband or your man what's in his box, there's a good chance that here's what he's gonna say. Nothing. (laughs) What's in your box? Nothing. We don't even know we have a box. We're not lying. We don't even know what's in our box. Unconscious. But we expect, guys, we expect them to fulfill these undefined expectations, but you know, it's, but it's kind of like, we need to talk about this. And look, I'm going to be transparent for women. Most of us men, we're scared to death of this box. We're scared. And guys, we're scared to talk about it, but we're expecting them to fulfill our hopes. And we, we won't even talk about it. And the truth is it can be terrifying, but we got to talk about it. And I know relationships are hard and a lot of us have scars and struggles as well, but The foundation for all of this is love. Look in Romans chapter five, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us because we receive God's heart. If you're a Jesus follower, his love is in there. And out of that love, it empowers us to love other people the exact same way that he loved us. And if you're not a a Christian, you're not a Jesus follower, I wanna encourage you in just a moment, you're gonna have a chance to accept His love so that He can put His love in your heart that you could love other people, especially so that you could love that special someone. So conflict's inevitable. You're gonna have conflict. So don't run from it. Don't win at all costs and be that bully but I I wanna encourage you to open up to your spouse, talk about what's in your box. And, And as you do that, these unmet expectations, what we're trying to do is close the gap between our hopes and our reality and do away with that disappointment because we're actually talking and we're communicating to each other. So would you stand with me? I just wanna pray a blessing over you.